Yeah, that, that's something that it was really shocking for me when I got to Canada and I started like either studying here or working. Back in Cuba, um, when we were in university, it was almost half and half. Like I was in a, in a group where we were like 15 girls and 16 or 17 boys. So pursuing a career in computer science, it was never like a male dominated type of thing. It was just like you do whatever you want to do, right? Hi, this is Sergio, and welcome to the Toronto Tech Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jelle, a full-stack developer, team lead, yoga enthusiast, and Pi Ladies community member. We speak about industry misconceptions, cultural differences, and she shares what it was like to start a new life here in Canada. Having worked with Jelle for a few years, I know firsthand how much she cares about her projects and the people she works with. I don't believe anyone has contributed to my personal and professional development more than she has. I'm so happy to have Jelly with me on episode three of the Toronto Tech Podcast. Hey Jelly, thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Why don't we start by telling people who you are? So my name is Jelly. Um... I moved to Canada in 2010. Before that, I lived in Cuba, my home country. I graduated in 2007 in computer and science. Then I moved to Canada to do a master's degree. Initially, my plan was not to do a master's degree, but I, I got really lucky that I got accepted to a new program at UFT, which I can talk to you a little bit more about mm-hmm. later if you want. And I've been doing software development for like more than 10 years now. It's kind of like a family tradition, so I come from a family of like electrical engineers and software developers, my parents, my sister, my aunt, so it was kind of in the blood, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But this isn't, software engineering is not always what you wanted to do, like since you were a little kid. Not really, like I was never great at math. I was actually really good at other things like biology and chemistry. So I wanted to be a microbiologist at first. But then my dad started talking to me and he sort of persuaded me like there was not a lot of like work for that type of role in Cuba. And then I didn't really have like a passion for something specifically like, oh, I really want to do that. So it was kind of easy just to go with the flow and follow my parents' lead. I was always very, um, I like to study a lot. So I was always reading Mm. books in like mainly... Uh, physics, I have a time in my life when I really love physics. That was in high school. So even though our math was not like a greatest passion of mine, I did like like understanding things and like building things. When I was a kid, I always loved to play with like those type of toys. Similar than Legos, we didn't really have luxury of having Legos in Cuba. But we would have other type of blocks and things that we would build. So I always liked like Hmm. Kind of like the toys that the kids, like the boys, used to play with. So more than just dolls and things like that. So I always had that drive for like building things. And I think maybe that was what helped me in computer science later on. Yeah. So you went to school, you did all your high school in Cuba. And then later on in your life, you came here and that's when you did your master's. Yeah. So in Cuba, um, in case people don't know, the education is free. And it's pretty good. Like... um, it used to be better, but I had a really good education. And in high school, the schools for the smart kids used to go, they were boarding schools. 
So you have to take different tests like math, uh, physics, uh, history, different tests. Then, then depending on your grades, like how well you would do, they will have this certain amount of people could enter to the school. So my high school wasn't a boarding school and I was in a physics specific group. They, were, they had different specialties like math, biology, chemistry. And at that time I was into physics and I was pretty good at it. So I started like studying a lot of physics and going to concerts and such. But I always knew that I wanted to study computer science. So we always keep like math in the background also as well. And it was a great experience just being surrounded by people all the time. We were always like, you know, I made one of like my best, best friends. I made them during that time, three years, you're spending the whole day with people and just going home on the weekends. So that was a really interesting experience in my life. Yeah. And then, uh, so you went through all that totally different culture. I can see you right now thinking about those stories from back home and smiling. I've heard so many of them now. But the thing that I found really fascinating, so I grew up here in Toronto, and I lived pretty much my whole life here. And by the time I finished high school, my experience was that very few women pursued technology. So there were seven tech courses that I took in high school. Only three of them had any women at all. But growing up in Cuba, your experience was completely different. Yeah, that, that's something that it was really shocking for me when I got to Canada and I started like either studying here or working. Back in Cuba, um, when we were in university, it was almost half and half. Like I was in a, in a group where we were like 15 girls and 16 or 17 boys. So most of the classes have at least a little bit more guys than girls, but it was almost half and half. So for me, it was never like... Uh, Pursuing a career in computer science, it was never like a male-dominated type of thing. It was just like you do whatever you want to do, right? So there were all like, like careers like, I don't know, telecommunications engineer, mechanical engineers, that they were very well known for just being like guys-dominated and just right. a few girls. And then psychology, it was mostly like girls-dominated. So we have the psychology faculty right in front of computer science and that was what my friends used to go and pick up girls right like <laughs> <laughs> and uh so it was it was really interesting because all my friends they I have a lot of girlfriends that they were from computer science so I never had to feel that thing that is just guys in here um it was almost half and half so I also realized and I rea I have that I started thinking about it more in Canada with this new movement of diversity and gender equality and things like that. And for me, that was that's all very new to me. And even I find it hard to engage at first because I never felt that issue as an issue of my own. And I realized that it's because my parents, they always encouraged me to be anything that I wanted to. So I never felt since I was a little that I was... Um, that I have any restrictions or constraints on the type of things that I wanted to do because I was a girl. So I think that it was very important that I always have a very supportive family that always uh, challenged me to be better in whatever I wanted to do rather than just trying to guide me in a direction specifically because I was a girl. Now, when I came to Canada, my first uh, experience was when I arrived to the University of Toronto, when I did my master's degree back in 2010, and people were looking at me like, uh, like, where are you going? Like, you're not supposed to be here. So I was remember that I was a little bit lost and trying to find my room. And 
people like one guy opened the door and is like oh are you lost and i was like no sorry i'm looking for the the, the room for the master of applied uh, computing and i was like oh this is it like okay like i'm part of this group so at that time it was this new pilot program that had six people at that time now it's huge now they have like more than 50 students so it was interesting for me to see like that feeling that they are not used to to this and also back in cuba like there was not a stereotype of girls in computer science like the girls in computer science they would dress up wear heels to classes wear makeup so you would be whoever you wanted to be and here there was more stereotype that you know like python like church so like it's something geek credible yeah exactly so that you had to dress in a certain way so that people would think that you're smart so that was a really Mm -hmm. like interesting for me in the first years and it was hard at first like i felt that i had to prove myself harder than i i had to in cuba just because first you are a woman you're a minority in this specific career you are also an immigrant, like you have an accent. So there were so many barriers that I felt that I have to get through that it make it harder um, at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly can't even imagine the culture shock that you must have had, you know, going from because you did post-secondary back in Cuba and it was only you did your master's here. Mm-hmm. So you already had a ton of education in the field of computer science before you came over here. Yeah, like actually the program in Cuba is the equivalent of a master's degree here. We study for five years instead of wow. four. So, And then I did two years of like what they call social service. So in Cuba, since you don't have to pay for education, after you graduate, graduate you work basically for free. So it's like your way of paying the government back. So I, I did okay. like a year and a half of social service there. And then I have some work experience from there as well. And we were working there in very like edgy projects. So you would think that for being in Cuba and a a country that is blocked by United States, you would think that we were working with really old technologies, but not at all. Like somehow, somehow like we were with the latest technologies. At that time, I was working a lot of Microsoft until I moved to work in open source Postgres mostly. But I did my thesis project with like the latest technology that Microsoft had at that time, the latest um, databases. So I learned a lot back then. And I felt that when I moved here and I started my master's degree that I was very prepared, like I knew my stuff, but I was very shy to like ask questions in class because I was shy of, you know, being the only girl. Um, I was shy of my accent. Like I, it, it, took me a couple of months or like maybe up to a year to build that confidence. Right. Well, you got you got through it. You successfully uh, emigrated here and got your master's program, finished it all. And now you're settled in working. And I think recently you got your Canadian residence, right? Permanent residence. My Canadian, Canadian citizenship. citizenship. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After many, many years. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything, is there any stories from that time that you want to share with us? Yeah, something that was really interesting to me is that back in school in Cuba, we used to work in teams a lot. Like we would do like a lot of assignments together or like that thing of like you will go to the library together. A lot of like studying as people houses, we would like a team of five, seven people would get together either at a house or at a library and we will always like study together, projects together. So there was a lot of like uh, 
helping each other and a lot of like team like feeling. So when I got into UFT, I realized that people were very independent, everybody on their own. But I know that they were struggling as well and that they were hungry for having that feeling of like we're in this together. So I have this initiative at that time of creating a group. Like I just brought it out to the a different chat that we had at that time at UFT. And I brought up for everybody that was in the either the computer or, uh, applied computing master degree or the regular computer science degree, master degree, because we have like an overlap. It was the same courses, even though it was two different programs. So I had this initiative to create in this study group and just like trying to get people to participate. And it was very like uh, the turnaround was really great. Like people were actually coming to study together in the library, helping each other with projects. Mm. And it seems something so simple to me that I used to do all the time and we would do it just naturally back in Cuba and it was a big deal like how people were like wow great idea to do this and I was like well how how haven't you done this before like this is sort of basic for yeah as if like no one else thought about it and it's interesting do you think it's that no one else thought of it or do you think there's just a culture that people say oh I don't want to be that be that person who's vulnerable and just tries to start a group like this I actually don't know what it is. I think that they maybe they were shy at first to approach each other. And like sometimes you don't want to admit that, okay, I might need help with this. Like I'm stuck in this project and someone else can help me with. But if, and then by someone doing it, they all felt like now we can be part of this and now we can help each other. So when we were approaching different exercises, I would go and say, this is what I got. This is how far I went. I was able to solve the three, but I'm stuck in this other one. So somebody else might have solved that one, but be stuck in the other one. So we would work together right. in assignment and enrich each other um, knowledge. And that was a really nice experience and something that I really enjoy at that time. And make also new, I met new people. I met different people from yeah. the program I was working on. Yeah, and it sounds to me like you you probably contributed to the success of other students there. Yeah, 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 for Maybe sure. You brought a little bit of Cuba success recipe <laughs> here to Canada. <laughs> I guess you can say that. So now you've you've successfully moved here. You've finished your masters. You've helped some people along the way. Tell us about what you're what you're doing right now. So just to give some context from before. I did my master in 2010, I graduated around 2012, and then my master was really interesting in the way that you have eight-month internship at the end. So that was fantastic, especially as an international student. It gave me the opportunity to actually work while I was finishing you know, my, my master and get real work experience in Canada. So when I did my interview for the internship, it was actually really interesting because I never really had an interview. They invited me for lunch. And then I learned later that that was the interview. So, no kidding. Yeah. So uh, basically the CEO of, the comp- on, of that company and one of the directors, they invited me for lunch. As I, as I didn't know that it was an interview, I didn't feel any pressure. So I guess I was just myself and they were asking me just questions about my experience, whatever. And they really liked me. So they wow. were creating this group at that time. And then later I got offered the internship job. And I didn't know that that I, that, that was that the you interview. had even applied. <laughs> yeah, and those two those two guys that I met at the time they became like really good mentors and really like key part of my career in Canada. And they actually good friends of mine right now. So I I would say I was really um, lucky that way. Um, and also the way that I got into the master's degree, like 
that master's degree, it was a pilot program. It was a new program for people. And I don't know why I, I heard about it. And I was living in Edmonton at that time with my family, which is where I was supposed to live. But I didn't really like it. So I started exploring what uh, masters they had at UFT. And I saw this program. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to Toronto next week and try to get an interview just to ask about the program because they are not interviewing right. people. So I, it was luck that, that the, the chair of the program at that time, he told me, oh, yeah, I'm going to be in Toronto a few days before I travel to a conference. You can come and meet with me and then let's, I can explain you what the master's degree right. is about. So you just emailed the program yeah, director of it. exactly. So he, he agreed to see me and then I went there very humble. Like, you know, I didn't even know, like, see this like super professor from UFT, like this amazing school that you hear about. Yeah. hundred years old. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I went and said, you know, I'm interested in this program. I'm just, I just been here a couple of months from Cuba. I want to do a master's degree. These are my transcripts. So he read a little bit, but he was like, oh, he didn't have a lot of information about Cuba or like how equivalent the programs were. So luckily for me, they have another Cuban student at that time, which uh, mentor was Greg Wilson. She's a really big guy on the Python industry. A lot of people like know him. So I say, like, what, you have another student already in the other program, in the computer science, ah. if you need a reference of how, like, how prepared we are. So I think that helps too. But at that time, I left the, that office really discouraged because he told me, well, you know, there is like a, more than 100 people applying for this. And we're just going to accept six people. Wow. So I came back to Edmonton. You know, I tried. I'm not going to even to apply and waste my time because... I'm probably not going to get in. Like, yeah. But that guy, he emailed me the next day and he asked me, you know what? I encourage you to apply. So at that no time. Kidding. So you made a really good impression for him to I come and I think so. That. So I had to start like, you know, emailing all like people that I work with to get the recommendation letters. They needed two recommendation letters. So I did that. And it was like fate. Like yeah. this new program, they were just from like hundreds of people applying they were accepting six people i think that the fact that i just went there and i asked for an interview and i met him in person and i show how interested i was on this program or a similar program and also the fact that there was another student from cuba also a girl in the computer science with a scholarship she came in on on a scholarship she was so she was already like validated exactly so i think that all those uh factors the kind of play in my favor yeah. but you didn't know any of that was going to happen at I the time know. you just knew you were going to go to toronto you were going to ask about the program yeah that was it <laughs> i always been a person of like instincts like i always when i have a goal i'm very goal oriented i always follow my gut on like what i think is the right thing to do and at that time i felt that I need to go there and get more information about this program because it's very new. There was not a lot of information on the internet. So Right. Better and I was just brave and I did it. And I think that opened a whole path for me that would have been completely different. That's incredible. And it goes to show that, you know, sometimes trust your instincts and just do it even if you don't know what's going to happen because it could could alter the entire course of your life for the better. Yeah. I think also, like, as an immigrant, you feel a lot of, like, the reason why you leave your country, your home, like, your whole family is with this aim to succeed and to be successful wherever you are. So 
failure is not an option. Like for most immigrants that are career oriented like me, it's like you are moving to a different country to succeed. So you have to succeed no matter what. And that gives you a really big drive to do it. Just do it. Right. Because you have already gone through the worst, which is you already gone through the being strong enough to live the comfort of everything that you yeah, know. All your family, all your friends. To start yeah. from scratch in a country that is a different language, is a different culture, a different climate. Like everything is like the way I can compare it. And some of my friends that are immigrants as well, they compare it it's like is if you were born again. Yeah. So you had your rebirth here in 20, 2010 when you 2010, came here. 2010, yeah. Over eight years ago. You're like a you're like the phoenix. Okay. <laughs> I'm also very adaptable. Like I I have friends that had a harder time and they ended up moving to Florida, especially because the climate and the, also they speak Spanish mostly there. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> so um, I'm very adaptable and I I can easily fit in different environments. So I think that made it easier for me to kind of like focus on my goals and. No feel, no focus on you know being sad because I was missing home and things like that. Yeah. Do you think that adaptability has served you well in being here? Yeah, absolutely. It served me well um, in being here, and I'm usually resistant to change. Like I don't jump into a change without thinking it through. But once I do it, I just keep going. Yeah, I'm just not impulsive. Commit. I'm just not impulsive. I'm like changing from one thing to the other one. But once I made a commitment or once I decide that this is the right path for me right now, I'm very determined on like following that path. And I think that helped me too. Yeah, I think that definitely got you to where you where you are. You know, mm -hmm. you made it through masters despite language and culture differences. And a divorce. And the <laughs> divorce. Want to mention that too. <laughs> Which rough times. <laughs> yeah. We don't we don't have to get into it if you don't want to, but yeah. I know that was part of that that time and period in your life you were also going through divorce yeah, yeah. yeah maybe um uh, honestly now thinking back i was so determined to you know to succeed and to my master's degree became a priority that maybe i also kind of didn't pay a lot of attention to my relationship at that time because i was very focused and my partner at that time he had different needs than i had he he had a really hard time adapting to canada well eventually he moved because of that so I was so focused on my own path that I was not, I couldn't support him at that time. Right. So mm -hmm. everything unfolds like that. And ultimately we were not good for each other, but I guess it happened faster just precisely because all, all I had is one goal in my mind and was just to be successful and to finish my master's degree. I had a lot of like family pressure in a way, like my family was helping me like supporting me financially my my family in edmonton my my aunts supporting me with a master degree like i was getting into family debt because they were helping right. me out so i had that i need to finish all this so that i can pay them back because they are helping me now so that was my main focus at that time and i don't regret it it was the path that i wanted for me yeah, and it's easy to look back today and say that was something that was good and and positive in my life in the long run. Yeah. But at the time, I could only imagine what that was yeah. like. You were you were in a new country. You were in a new program. You were incurring debt for your family, and your marriage was falling full. apart. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Rough times. Well, we're Don't glad for you, the best. For the best. 
And we're glad, I'm glad, I'm personally, I'm glad that you made it because you and I have worked together for a little bit of time now. Um, and it's been, it's been wholeheartedly good. And I've learned a lot from working with you. So that's one of the reasons I'm very honored that you could join me on this podcast. Um, I wanted to ask you throughout your school and throughout your career, can you remember a time where you felt really supported by the people around you? So there was this pivot time on my school, like the program of computer science in Cuba was very hard. Like I learned when I moved to Canada about the program in here and it's like way easier. Our program was very hard. There was not subjects that you could just pick. You have to do it all. So it's not like you could choose the easier ones and then not do the hardest right. ones. So we have a lot of algorithms. We have a lot of like, it was very hard. So. In second year, I have a lot of really, I had a really hard time keeping up with school, even though I was studying hard, I was failing a lot. And then I was almost ready to give up, like, I'm not good at this. I will see other friends that I had studying like finances and accounting or other things that seem easier and they were like partying all the time. And I was, <laughs> I was studying all the time. I was not partying at all and I was fail, failing. So I felt like I'm not good at this. I, I told my parents, I'm going to quit computer science. I'm going to go and wow. do business. I'm going to do finance. I know I'm going to be great at that. And I'm going to have like a better, like an easier like life. And my parents were really supportive. Like they heard me and then they started like putting facts of like, this is how far have you, you've gone. And basically they were very supportive and helping me not to quit at that time. And I'm glad that I didn't because my life would have been completely different right now if I had quit at that time. So I think I've been very, very lucky that I always have very a very supportive family. And I have like part of my success, like great, great part of my success, even me moving to Canada and everything that I've achieved in Canada is because I always have a really good emotional support from my family and they've always been there um, in the good times and in the low times and always have no what to say and give me that like parents wisdom so that I could keep going. So that was like a really interesting and pivot time in my life because it could have shifted completely. Like if my parents had been okay, do whatever you want, like, but they were, they listened to me and they, Every day they right. would start saying facts of like, is this the life? Like, okay, if you go to business, this is what's going to happen next. Is this the life that you want for you? Like picture, they will, they were this type the of parent that will always paint the picture. How is your future going to be if you do this? And then I will say like, oh, I don't want that. So <laughs> rather than letting me just being impulsive and you're thinking of what I want right now, rather than what I want long term, they will always pick this picture of how my future was going to be if I took that different path. Right. And that was very interesting. So they really listened to what you were after and not just saying, okay, we support you if you choose that or support you if you choose this, but they were really behind you in figuring it out. Yeah. And they did it always did it in a way that it never felt forced. Like they would say, we will support you, whatever you decide, but look at this scenario, look at, and then they will help yeah. me think on my own. Like, do you want that? No, no, I don't want that. Like, and they would do that in even different things, even in my personal life. And I couldn't appreciate it that much at that time because I was younger. But now thinking back and now when you're an adult, all those conversations come to mind and you start thinking, wow, like I wish that when I'm, when I have my own kids that I could be that, that I could give them that type of support that they always feel supported, but you're also kind of leading them in the direction that you feel 
would be ultimately the best for them. But without them feeling that you're imposing this criteria, right? Yeah. That's that's really interesting because I've almost never heard that story from people to talking about their parents. And I don't know if it's a culture thing or maybe yeah. you have outstanding parents who are just really good at that. But it was from you that I first heard that. Yeah, I think like I've been really lucky. Like um, I've been really, I have been given like a really good pair of <laughs> of parents. So I asked you where you felt most supported throughout mm-hmm. your schooling or career. Can you think of a time when you felt very unsupported by the people around you? Maybe? Yeah, um, that time was actually when I was doing my master's degree that I struggled at first. And my partner at that time, he was going through his own issues and he was not supportive. So I had to study sometimes very late. I have to be like doing assignments and working on things that he could probably help me out because he was also a software developer. And instead of helping me, he was always trying to pick up fight with me so I couldn't have the mm. peace that I needed to study. If I had to, sometimes I had just to leave the place where we were living and go to school on a Saturday night or Sunday night just because I have the peace to study there. And sometimes he would just go there and chase me to keep fighting, right? So it was very unsupportive. And sometimes I would say, you know what? I have an exam tomorrow. I have to do for this project tomorrow. Can we talk about this two days from now? Let me just finish this. And he was going through his own problems that he couldn't wait. Right. Wow. Yeah. So that was so that really was stress hard. on top of the stresses yeah. that you had. So that yeah. that that was really hard at that time where I feel it. I don't need this to have these arguments right now. Why don't we wait on a couple of days until I'm done with my projects and my exams? Well, it worked out in the long run. It did, and I actually had really good um, the people that I met during my master degree. Some of them are also good friends of mine now. Like I must say that I've met really good people in Canada. Like I made really, really, really incredible uh, people that are now like really good friends of mine that helped me a lot shape my life here too. So I'm really grateful for that too. Yeah. Any any shout outs to colleagues or professors that you want to make? Any yeah. particular thanks? Um, I have a really good friend at UFT. Um, he was part of my master's degree. He was a senior like developer or like he was even a director at that time and then he had a tons of experience in the industry and he kind of got bored of the industry and came back for a couple of years to do a master's degree so we met there and he became like a really good friend of mine his, his name is Matt Medlan he's now um he's the chair of the program now oh wow <laughs> yeah but he was part of the first cohort and he was a really key and very important person in my life at the time he was uh, he helped me a lot during school and he was also a very supportive friend so during that time um especially when i was going through personal issues that sometimes i will not show up to school and because i was feeling really sad he will call me and hey you have to come to school i will pick you up i won't let you like give up right so those times when mm-hmm. i feel that i couldn't do it anymore that i because i was going through so much he was always like reminding me all the reasons why i I shouldn't give up and how hard it was for me to get there in first place. So, Yeah, you've come so far already. Yeah, so mm. it's it's very important to have that, to have the people during hard times that sometimes they are not your family, but they are like really good friends and they 
help you and support you during those times. So I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, every I can really hear it that you're emanating this gratitude towards yeah. the people who have helped you get here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like it's very easy to think on where you are now and kind of forget where you came from and all the yes. obstacles you came through and then think that right you did it yourself, but it really wasn't by yourself, right? Like it might seem that you did it on your own. But it's also all those people, family and friends that support you during those times. They are also part of your journey. And I've been very lucky that I had a good support system from friends and family. Now, fast forward to present day. Uh, you've been a software dev for quite a few years. You've worked on a lot of different systems. Um, used a lot of Python recently. Mm -hmm. Exactly what kind of challenges or what kind of work do you undertake? So... Right now in the company, when we both work at points, basically we're doing a lot of Python work. And Python was new to me in Canada. Like I started to work in Python when I did my internship at the previous company I worked for, SideFX Software. And I fell in love with Python. I found it so intuitive, like so easy. Like you basically the way you're thinking is the way you put it into code. So once I learned Python, I didn't want to go back to like C++ or C Sharp yeah. or like Java or any of those other languages. And here at work, we have different challenges each day. I won't say that what we're building is rocket science. Like, no. But um, there's always those little ch challenges in like how you could make whatever it is that you're doing better each day how you can make it more reusable, how you can make it cleaner, how you can make it extensible. Yeah. Now, I want to go down one yeah. tangent that you touched sure. on, which is you loved Python a lot when you first found it. Um, and there's something you contributed back to the community in that way, uh, in terms of PyLadies. Yeah, so once I started working on, on Python, then I discovered PyLadies, and I started getting more involved in the community, which is something that we didn't have in Cuba that much. It's now being developed a little bit, but at the time when I was there, we didn't really have that sense of community. So I started trying to get involved in the community, and I um, I found PyLadies, and I really liked like. The goal was to kind of bring more people, especially more women, into Python. And at that time, I used to do some um, presentations of, like, introduction to Python or, like, my experiences that I have. I did, ironically, also a presentation on Golang when I decided to start learning Golang for my per one of my personal projects. So I always like to be involved in the community as much as I can. I have being not as involved lately um i'm trying to go back to it especially i have been involved in going to meetups i just haven't been preparing things and giving back to them as much since i have built you know when your life get busy it's easier just to keep going and forget right. to get back to the community i have a couple of ideas of presentations that i want to do so Hopefully, I will be a little bit more disciplined next year with that because I do feel that it's important to receive from the community but also give back to the community. Like either if it is sharing your experiences like this podcast that we're doing today or a specific technical presentations as well. Yeah. And yeah. that's something I learned about you early on, like when we first started working together, that you were this person who's not only come from this this background, this past, but you've also gotten involved in PyLadies and ran presentations and ran 
um, you know, discussions and really giving back to the community in that point. And actually, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but when I was when I had just started at the company, you were the, one of the people I was kind of intimidated by. Like, <laughs> oh, this person's so successful. They know so much more than me. They, they're good enough that they give talks and contribute back. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> Nothing to be yeah. intimidated. Now you know. That's, I've really understood that after so many years is that, you know, everybody around you giving presentations or not, they're, they're devs like you. They have things that they know and things that they don't, just like you. And one thing that I've really come to grips with about myself is I do have something to contribute and I am an expert enough to share sure. in a presentation or something. Yeah. yeah. And even if you're not an expert in a specific topic, sometimes there are people that are wanted some knowledge like you. For example, when I did my presentation on Goldland, it was just, just an introduction to Goldland. So I was like, all these things that I'm learning, I know a lot of probably other Python devs that they would like to know what Golan is, but maybe they don't have the time or they don't have the drive. Why don't I share what I've learned with them? And then maybe that could get them kind of curious about what is this new language and trying it out. So sometimes it's even things that you're learning by yourself in different projects that you're working on that is potentially useful to other people as well. You don't have to be an expert, right? Yeah, you don't have to be an expert. That's the... That's the thing that I really and got. And we think sometimes that I need to know all the answers to this in order for me to give a presentation. But if you set the expectation like, this is basic, I'm going to share what I've learned so far. I'm not an expert on this specific topic. And, and if, people appreciate that. Yeah, some of, the, some of the stuff I've gotten, I love attending those talks too because those speakers are so much more approachable with questions that I might otherwise think about. Oh exactly. no, this is an amateur question. I should not ask this person. But if it's like more of an introductory course, I'm even more engaged. Like uh, something that we did this year, I think is great. And you were one of the drivers of that is the introduction to Python. That course right. that we give here at, For people at work. who don't do programming at For, all. Exactly. Marketing people, product managers. And we had a, good, really, a really good turnaround of people participating. And we, we were experts in this specific case, but we didn't need to. If, That's right. You also need to learn your audience. I'm not going to go to a, the Golan conference to give an introduction to Go. Like, yeah. But there is different meetups and different audience where your skills, whatever level they are, your skills will be useful to someone. Is there anything that you'd want to leave people with or anything that you would tell people who are thinking about going into the world of tech but not really sure? What would you say to them? Well, my advice would be mostly for women. Like, I think that the tech industry in Toronto and United States, which is what I'm more involved with, it needs more women in tech. And I know for a fact, I have seen it, that there are things that women bring to the table in a team. There is a set of skills that are very important for to have a high-performance team, which is what I'm really big into right now. I know that a problem that as women we have is that we feel that if we are not experts in every subject, we might not qualify for the job. Like actually, when I apply at points from everything that it was describing in the job, like Docker and like all the sort of stack, the only thing that I knew was Python. And still, it took me like, I have a recruiter chasing me for like a year and it took me a long time to finally decide to interview because I thought that I didn't have everything all the skills that right. they needed. But you have to understand that companies, they don't need all the skill, 
all the skills since the beginning. What they need the most, of course, you need to have the programming skills that they are looking for. But there are other tools that you can learn as you go. And what you need is to be very a very good analytical thinker and have the drive to learn every day and be a hard worker and just wanted to succeed wherever you are. So I would say for women and any other, like whoever is interested in going into a career that is technical and they feel that they don't have anything that it takes, you can build those strengths if you have the drive. Like I wasn't good at math. It's not that we need a lot of math in computer science anyway. No. We work with a lot That's of variables, not numbers. So yeah. I used to think like I cannot be good at computer science because I'm, I'm not good at math. But if you are, you like to build things, you have an analytical, you're an analytical thinker, you like to find solutions to problems, and you like computers, then computer science or any technical oriented career can be great for you. And just don't be afraid, just apply for the job. Yeah. You might not have all the skills exactly as they say in your resume, but they might see something else in you that they might like and they need in the team as well. Yeah, there might have been seven or eight or ten different technologies on that job posting exactly. and you didn't have them and they still wanted you. Exactly. You know? Yep, that would be my advice. Just go for yeah. it. Just do it. That's something that really resonates with me, the the, the fear of job application part. Um, there's been lots of things that I've applied for anyways, despite not having the prerequisites. My thought was like, you know, if they don't want me, they'll filter out my resume anyways. And I was surprised at how many uh, callbacks I would get, right. given given that like the the place where I got my internship, I they were doing everything in Ruby. I had never done Ruby before. They were doing some sort of cloud project. I had never done anything related to cloud at all, right? All I had was the motivation to learn, the desire to do it, and that really communicated on the interview. And ultimately, I was eventually the hiring manager shared with me that's what made the difference. So having that energy that you want to do it, that drive, you know, yeah. that's now, more important. Now that's... that you mentioned that, it reminds me about that the interview that was over lunch that I mentioned that it was an in, when I was applying for an internship yes. that I didn't know. Back then, then, a couple of like, you know, months or years after when I started talking to that CDO who interviewed me, who became a really good mentor and friend of mine, I was like, what makes you like hire me? Like. He said, what, may, what we love about you was the passion. At that time, I learned that when people think that you're really passionate about what you, what you do and that you really like what you do, even though you might not have the skills, they know that you're going to learn them and they know that you have the drive because you really like what you do. Just that passion. And I think I even say to him during that lunch that I'm really passionate about what I do. And I started explaining a project that I was right. working on in school or something. That's something that clicks with them like, this is the type of person that we want. And now that I'm in a different role right now where I have to interview people sometimes, it's true that when you see people with that drive and with that passion and that they are not just going through life like, oh, this is just another job, like, you want those people that are eager for learning and that have that energy that yeah. wants you to drive them and work with you. The people that they're awake, you know, they're here to cause something. Yeah, yeah. that really resonates with me. And I, I feel like we have a good team of, of that people that are, dry, you know, passionate every day. 
Yeah, most of us are, and we, yeah, we're really lucky that way too, that we're building yeah. a really good team together. Yeah. Okay. That was all the questions that I had. Is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to share? Um, no, I think that was all. I just want to um, say thank you for inviting me. It really means a lot to me that you have me in your list of people to interview for the podcast. And I'm sure it's going to be very successful and wish you all the best. No, thank you. Thanks for being on it, Jelly. If people want to reach out to you, how can they do that? Oh, I guess the best way would be my LinkedIn profile. I'm there. I'm Jelly Bonilla. We'll have it in the episode notes. Oh, okay. LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Okay. But no recruiters. <laughs> yeah, please. No. <laughs> Thank you, Jelle, for being on the podcast. This is your community, Toronto. Connect with us and send us your feedback at Toronto Tech Podcast on Twitter or at torontotechpodcast.ca. Today's closing features music from a local Toronto band. This is Gone by Side Hustle. Thank you for listening. Patience